Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 420. Today is July 11th, 2023. I'm your host, John Pugliano. I'm also the founder and money manager at investablewealth.com. Well, today I got a quick episode for you. I want to briefly talk about the pitiful state of the global economy. It's again, one of the primary reasons that I have such a large cash position So it isn't only that short-term I'm worried about the U.S. economy, but I also don't see much of an opportunity going outside the U.S. where I think conditions currently are, you know, just as bad or worse. But I also further want to reiterate here that I remain cynically optimistic, and probably at the end of this podcast I might even give you a hint about a trade that I do have coming up. And if I do actually make a trade, that would be unique because I haven't made any acquisitions other than money market funds for a long, long time now. But we'll get to that. Hey, before we even get to anything, though, let me just mention that if you're trying to listen to old episodes of the podcast that are archived at the website, and by the way, if you're just looking at the podcast episodes that are available through the syndicators like iTunes, you're going to see an abbreviated list there. I think it's something like the last 50 or 100 episodes are available in those syndicators. But if you go to the website, wealthsteading.com, everything's archived, and you can find it by either searching for topics or by just scrolling through the tab at the bottom that says, you know, listen to a previous episode type thing. But there is a problem with that, and this was pointed out by one of my good friends, Eric, and I've been digging into it, and from what I can tell, any episode earlier than episode 70 is currently not playing. So I'm working on that. I'm not sure what it is, but my technical staff are digging into the issue, and we'll see if we can get that resolved. Hey, and as to my friend Eric and kind of the whole issues with global uncertainty and all the crazy things going on in the world, I give a shout out to him. He's currently serving his country in an undisclosed location, and I want to wish him Godspeed and Semper Fidelis. Okay, so what about the global economy? Well, let's not talk in hyperbolic terms of of either fear or greed, but let's just look at the reality of the situation. If you look at all the forecasts for growth this year, I'm talking about real GDP growth globally, and whether you're looking at it from the institutions like the Bank of International Settlements or the World Bank or the International Monetary Fund or the rating agencies like Finch or S&P, or private analysts, whether they be buy or sell side, everybody has pretty much agreed to the fact that we're going to have less than 3% global growth. This is real GDP growth. The reason that's important is because if you look over the last 60 years or so, you'll see that the only time we've had global GDP growth under 3% is, you know, pretty rare situation happens probably less than 30% of the time. And if you look at the times when growth is below 3%, and I'll review a couple of those dates with you, but all of those eras were times which are very similar to what we're seeing today with all the geopolitical global uncertainty. So again, from a realistic standpoint, not just trying to create fear and gloom and doom, but just looking at the reality of the situation, I do think there's still a lot of headwinds for the economy in terms of not only profitability for United States companies, but for the entire global economy. Now, as far as the outlook and forecasts, I say it's under 3%. 
you know, estimates are all over the board. It depends. Like all things, estimates are all over the board. But generally, I'd say they range from 2.5% to 2.9% growth. A lot of people, a lot of analysts are clustered in that 2.7-2.9%. So definitely under 3% growth. And I'd also say in terms of the people that are more pessimistic, they do tend to be more private, uh, market-oriented organizations as opposed to you know, government-sponsored or quasi-government-sponsored economists. Their forecasts are more on the optimistic you know, 2.8%, 2.9%. But what does growth below 3% mean? Well, if you, again, look at the last more than 60 years, probably 20 or less years, when we've had less than 3% growth, and about a third of those times would be in the area that's currently being forecasted in that, you know, say 25 to 2.9% growth area. And in terms of a real full-blown global recession where you would have global negative GDP, again, looking over the last 60 or so years, that's only happened twice. That was coming out of the financial crisis in 2009, and of course, the pandemic shutdown of 2020. So no one's forecasting something that severe, but everybody is forecasting much slower than normal growth. And if you look at slow growth periods over the last you know, 60 or so years, one of the areas that really stands out is that time around the Arab oil embargo. And we've talked about that many times, both here and in my blog over at investablewealth.com, about those similarities to what we're seeing today mostly because of the sanctions on Russian energy. And so you see that period from about 1974 to 1983, when the Arab oil embargo was a major part of that. Remember, the U.S. went into a recession right around 73 and 79 as a double dip in the economy occurred almost in unison from two shock waves in the energy environment, which were primarily a direct response from OPEC. So a lot of slow growth in not only U.S. GDP, but global GDP back in that seven-year period around the Arab oil embargo. Another cluster of years when you saw a pretty significant amount of lack of global growth occurred in the early 90s. That was from like 1990 to 1993, and a lot of parallels from that era to where we are right now. You remember there was the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991. So that was a huge shift in the balance of geopolitical powers. That was also the time of the first Gulf War with Iraq. And that was also the period when you had a lot of currencies failing, especially in Asia and Latin America. Now, the next cluster of years was that three or four year period just before and just after the dot-com bubble. And also, I don't think coincidentally, that also overlapped with the terrorist attacks of September 11th. And then you saw a cluster of years of a major slowdown in economic global growth from the financial crisis, which first materialized in the United States in 2008. And the effects of that were continued to be felt through 2013 as that contagion eventually spread to other parts of the world. So from a real politique, real economic standpoint, a slowdown in global growth is not very common. It does happen. When it happens, it usually doesn't result in a major catastrophe, but it is definitely a slowdown. And I think you can see some of those parallels from what has happened in those past years to where many of those are confluencing today. 
and that's in terms of Cold War with China, hot war with Russia and Ukraine, and a huge rise in nationalistic and industrial policies where countries are trying to tighten up their supply chains and their borders to the extent that I really don't think we've seen since about World War I. And I think these global circumstances would require the prudent investor to be patient and wait to see how some of these political dominoes fall before jumping 100% back into any of the markets. Some other things I want to point out in terms of looking at real data, right? Not just speculation or, and not just opinions, but looking at real data and looking at something like the manufacturer's purchasing managers index. Now, in terms of the PMI, anything below 50 is considered a manufacturing environment that's in contraction. And right now, when you look at the global economy, global PMI, manufacturing PMI, is at about 48. And since that's the average, it's obviously worse in some areas than others. It should probably be no surprise that the Eurozone is the worst. That's coming in with a PMI rating of around 43. The U.S. is around 46. The Asian countries are doing better than everybody else, but not significantly. We're really only talking about 51. So, yeah, at the top of the list, you have a country like India, which is benefited greatly from any of the people that want to exit China. But, you know, even at the same time, for all the growth and the benefit that's occurring in India, PMI there is under 58. So while the Pacific and the Asian Pacific countries are tending to do better, again, it's not really anything to write home about. Philippines below 51, Hong Kong barely at 50, and even a country like Australia, which is a major exporter of minerals, is at 48. So definitely showing signs of contraction. And specifically, I want to point out Australia and how their declining economy definitely relates to what we're seeing in the broader metals market. Pull up a chart of virtually any metal, whether it's a precious metal or an industrial metal. So gold and silver, platinum, copper, steel, lead, zinc, you know, virtually any metal you pull up right now, you'll see that they are all in a downtrend. When I look at that type of data, it, it again points to me that with all the inflation we're seeing, right, even with U.S. core inflation being at 5% and inflation in Europe being significantly above that, we're not seeing metal prices moving up. And so if the smart money thought that there was a recovery right around the corner, I think we would see a big increase in those industrial metals, especially things like copper or lithium or cobalt or the other metals which are a big part of this energy transition and they're going to be needed all around the world, but especially with the emphasis that the U.S. is putting on infrastructure rebuilding. So when we see the price of those metals depressed, again, to me, I'm not seeing a recovery right around the corner. Again, though, looking at the glasses being half full, we're not seeing a huge spike in precious metals either. So I don't see a big fear factor from the smart money there as well. I think if you look at the overall metals market, it's agreeing with global PMI and global GDP estimates, which are forecasting a very slow growth, mediocre economy. I think one other indicator that's pointing to that mediocrity and neither growth nor catastrophic collapse is the price of oil. Now, I've held on to my oil positions, which is incredibly rare for me to do, considering that I do think that we're headed into a recession. During any 
normal recession, the price of oil always collapses. And so I definitely wouldn't want to be holding on to oil stocks, even though some of them are paying fantastic dividends. And again, that's a topic we covered in the last episode. But in terms of oil, what it's also, I think, telling me with the stability in the price of oil is that although there's definitely a slowdown in global growth, that there's enough of a cartel stranglehold on supply that as OPEC continues to either cut production or at least threaten to cut production, they've been able to keep the price of oil pretty much above $70. And from an American oil production standpoint, that's still a very profitable and good position for the oil companies. I also continue to hold on to oil stocks because with the war in Ukraine, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see another combat boot drop, and especially if it was something along the lines of a Nord Stream pipeline sabotage, well, that could definitely cause a big spike in the price of oil. So I'm holding on to my oil stocks. It's a bit of a speculative play, but I do think that it has limited downside. And speaking of a speculative play, now I'm not going to reveal what it is at this point, but I am looking very seriously at making just a small position trade. This would be an international holdings. And again, that would be really unusual because I haven't made any purchases in a long time. If I do make the trade, it could come as soon as the next couple days, maybe in the next week. Because even though I think it does have a long-term runway, I also think that getting into it is important right now and very timely. So, of course, if you're reading the blog post or if you're subscribed to the free notifications over at investablewealth.com, then you'll be the first to find out about it. Well, hey, that wraps it up. I went longer than I planned, as usual, and also as usual. Until the next time, this is John Pagliano wishing you the very best returns.